Here it is. Okay, First John uh, on the page one, two, two, eight. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we proclaim, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love, of, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Thank you. Thanks, Tick. Uh, I, uh, last week we were looking at what happened when Jesus died. Uh, and, um, yes, I am. Um, and I've got some books, uh, What Happens When I Die, uh, freebies. Uh, so if you're interested in taking one of those and reading that, you can come and grab that afterwards. Um, and it'd be great once you've finished reading that, uh, maybe to think about or ask if anyone else wants to read it. So don't just read it and hang on to it, but read it and pass it on to somebody else uh, who might want to uh, read that as well. So you can come and grab those from me afterwards. Uh, but let's, let's pray now. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you love us uh, and that you sent the Lord Jesus to die for uh, the sins of all those who entrust themselves to him. Uh, and Father, we, we pray that we would know him and, uh, and have a real relationship with him. Uh, and Father, most especially today, we, we think uh, and, and ask too that you would help us to know that we really do know him and that we might have that full assurance of faith that we belong to you uh, and that we will go to be with you uh, when 
uh, we die or when the Lord Jesus returns. Uh, So give us that certainty, we pray, uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, You should have got a handout on the way in as well. There's some Bible verses on there that uh, we'll touch on as we go through. Uh, But we're continuing today looking at the question... uh, looking at the questions that you've asked uh, about big issues in the Christian life or things that you don't understand. And as I said last week, we thought about what happens when I die, uh, the moment that I die, what happens, what happens between now and the day that Jesus returns. Uh, And today we're thinking about uh, another question, and that is, how can we have certainty that uh, you're, how can we have certainty that we're saved or not saved? How can we have certainty that uh, on, the, on the day of judgment, Jesus will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, rather than, away from me, I never knew you. How can we know? How can we have certainty about that before that day comes? That's a really great question uh, that, uh, that, that pe- a number of people asked. It's a great question because it's an important question. It's the most important question that we can ask. Uh, Where do we stand with God? Uh, And how can we have assurance about that? And it's a great question because it's a very common question. Uh, In his book, uh, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, J.D. Greer writes about his own struggle with this particular issue. Uh, he, he first remembers expressing faith in Jesus at about the age of four. His parents explained the gospel to him uh, and he responded to that. But then over the years he found that he kind of fluctuated between certainty and doubt. So he worried that uh, on the day of judgment he would be one of those people to whom Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. After all, he thought to himself, You know, have I really been sorry enough for my sins? And so over and over again, he would turn to Jesus and he would say the sinner's prayer again and he'd get re-baptized because maybe uh, when he'd been baptized last time, that hadn't counted, he hadn't hadn't really been a Christian. Uh, In the end, he was baptized four times. He jokes that he had a a uh, locker in the change room. Uh, he'd been he'd been baptized so many times, and for a while it would make him feel good about where he was at with God, but then over time that would diminish his certainty would fade, and he'd find himself in the same position all over again. Where am I with God? How can I know? How can I be sure? And that experience is not, I don't think, a unique experience. One of my lecturers uh, when I was at Bible college said that. Uh, he began in his ministry when he would when he would speak to people. He would he in the initial years of his ministry he would ask the question, uh, you know, "Do you trust in Jesus?" But about five years in, he changed from asking that question to asking, "Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you belong to Christ?" Because he found that. While most people could probably say yes to the first question, very, very few people could say yes to the second question. And so that's what we want to think about this morning. Uh, We want to look at how can we know uh, where we stand with God, how can we have confidence about the last day, and we're going to look at at the two grounds that the Bible gives us for assurance, uh, and then we'll... Think about what to do if you lack assurance. 
Uh, and then again, we'll have time uh, at the end for questions. So the question of assurance was actually one of the questions at the very heart of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. So the Catholic Church at the, at the time taught uh, that it was impossible to know with any degree of certainty whether or not you were saved, whether or not you, uh, would, you belonged to God. So in response to the Reformation, there was, a, there was something called the Council of Trent, uh, and in a section wonderfully titled Against the Vain Confidence of the Heretics, uh, the Council of Trent wrote, No one can know with a certainty of faith, which cannot be subject to error, that he has obtained the grace of God. You can't know. That was one of the central convictions uh, of the Roman Catholic Church. In contrast, the uh, Protestant reformers affirmed the Bible's clear teaching that actually we can know, we can have assurance. We can know, they said, because of God's promises in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So there are so many places that we could go to think about that. I've just given you a few there on that sheet. Uh, John 3.16, famously, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes. Or John 5.24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes me, Jesus says, they have eternal life. They already have it. They've already crossed over from death to life. They won't be judged. Or Romans 10 verse 9, Paul writes, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Declare with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. You will be. In other words, the primary ground of our assurance is the promises of God. And the accomplishment of those promises, the fulfillment of those promises in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know that, that you're saved? How do you know that uh, you stand with God in Christ? You know by trusting in what God has promised. Whosoever believes. If you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart, God says it and you believe it. One of the reasons that most people go astray at this point is because they make a subtle shift from trusting in God and in Christ and in what he has promised to grounding their faith in their faith and their assurance in the quality of their faith. But as soon as you make the shift from God and his promises in Jesus and fulfilment in the person and work of Christ, as soon as you move from that to uh, your faith as the ground of assurance, you lose all assurance. Because the more that you examine your faith, the more that you look at it, the more that you examine it and inquire into it, the more that you find it wanting, it inadequate, it faulty. Our faith will always, this side of eternity, our, our, our trust in God will always be uh, 
inadequate and incomplete. Like the centurion who came to Jesus, the best that we can say so often is, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. We'll always find those seeds of unbelief lurking in our hearts. So the question is not, what is my faith like? Or have I prayed the right prayer with exactly the right words? Rather, the question is, who is Christ? And what has God accomplished in him? As has so often been said, when you sit on a chair... What matters is not how much faith you have that the chair will hold you up. That has, no, that has no effect on the outcome of whether or not that chair will successfully hold you up. What matters is the strength of the chair. You simply need faith or trust enough in that chair to be able to, to sit down. And so it is with our faith with, in Christ. What matters is not the quality of our faith, but the quality of Christ, the chair, the one on whom we rest. And all that we need to be saved is faith sufficient to sit down, faith the size of a grain of mustard. And as we fix our eyes more firmly on Christ as the object of our faith and less and less on the quality of our own faith, more and more we will in fact find ourselves to be trusting Christ and hoping in him rather than hoping and trusting in ourselves and in our own faith. As John Bunyan so eloquently pictured it in his little story, Pilgrim's Progress, a lack of assurance is like being imprisoned in Doubting Castle ruled by giant despair. But there is a key, Bunyan says, in our pocket that can unlock any of the doors in Doubting Castle, and the name of that key is promise. The promises of God and their fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ are what can unlock the doors of our doubt and give us assurance. Or in the words of the writer of Hebrews, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. However far we're plunged down into the depths of our sin, however faulty we find our faith, God's promises reach high into heaven and are landed there as an anchor which cannot be uprooted. And insofar as we are with Jesus, our anchor is in heaven there with him as well. How can you know if you're saved? You can know because God promises it in his word to those who entrust themselves to Jesus. So that's the first ground of our assurance. God's promises and his accomplishment in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible gives us also a second ground of assurance. And we have to have both of them together. Uh, you might wonder why that is, that we need a second ground of assurance, uh, if we have that wonderful ground of assurance, which is the promises of God. Why, if we have that? If, why, if God promises it and that's secure, why then do we need another ground of assurance? The reason is, as Jesus and uh, the apostles make clear, 
The reason is that it's possible for us to be deceived about ourselves and our relationship to God uh, and our trust in his promises. So it's possible for us to think that we have trusted Christ and entrusted ourselves to him when actually we haven't done that at all. So Jesus warns about that in uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you'll find that halfway down the page, uh, Bible verses, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus says that a person could do fabulous ministry, perform many miracles, and do all kinds of things and do them in the name of Jesus, but not actually know Jesus at all and not actually be saved. John uh, 2, in the chapter that Tech read for us before in verse 6, he seems to envisage this situation in which people claim to have fellowship with him, claim to have fellowship with God, he says, but actually walk in darkness. So they're saying, I totally know Jesus, totally I'm, I'm good with God, but actually the manner of their life, they're walking in darkness. They, they don't know Christ at all. So the issue then becomes not simply that we need a ground for believing, but we also need to know that we really have believed. The ground of our faith and the assurance that springs from faith is the promises of God and the work of Christ. But how can we know that we have really rested in Christ? How can we know that we've sat down on the chair and not just said that we have? How can we know that we've entrusted ourselves to Christ and, not, and we're not deceived? That seems to be the primary question that John is addressing in that little letter of, of 1 John. He says in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants them to know that they have eternal life. It seems that the situation that John was addressing was that there had been some people in the church who had, to all appearances, been genuine Christians. But they had then gone out and abandoned that. They had then left the church. And John seems to be writing to those who'd been left behind to help them know that they really did believe that they really were part of the faith of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to encourage these Christians to know that they belong to him, belong to Jesus. And so throughout his letter, throughout 1 John, he offers these tests so that his readers might know that they have eternal life. In the passage that we read, there's two of them. So the first test, if you walk in the light rather than in the darkness, or as he says at the beginning of chapter 2, it's really the same thing in other words, if you keep Jesus' commands. 
So he doesn't mean by saying, if you keep Jesus' commands, he's not saying that you must be perfect in order to know whether you're saved or not, or to be saved. He's saying that you seek to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and you make progress in obeying his commands. So the question that John is wanting us to ask ourselves is, is there growing obedience in your life? Or do you not, or do you sort of really not care actually about obeying Jesus? Is it just kind of the ticket to heaven, but Christ impacts your life in no other way? Knowing Jesus has not changed the way that you live in any meaningful sense. You see, it's nonsense to say that you're following Jesus if that isn't reflected in the way that you live. But if that is reflected in the way that you live, if following Jesus means that your life has been reshaped around Jesus, it it looks different to how it did before, then, then John says that's a wonderful encouragement that God is at work in you. The second test that John says, John gives us, so that we can know that we belong to the truth, is if we confess and acknowledge our sins and trust in God's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you fail, uh, uh, do you, how, how do you respond to that? When you, when you sin, how do you respond? Do you say, I, I didn't do anything wrong, it doesn't, doesn't really matter, you know, I'll make up for that by doing something else? Or do you come to God in humility and repentance and acknowledge what you've done and admit that there's no excuse and cast yourself on God's mercy in the cross of Christ? You see, again, it's nonsense to say that you trust Christ and his death on the cross if your daily practice is to deny that you need that in any way. It's, it's, it's nonsense to say that, you, that you're trusting in the death and the resurrection of Christ if, if your daily practice is to say, well, there's not really any sins that need to be atoned for. There's no sins that need to be confessed. There's, no, there's not really any sin in my life. On the other hand, if your daily practice is to spend every day at the foot of the cross and at the empty tomb, acknowledging to God your inadequacy, your sinfulness, and trusting in him, trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That shows, doesn't it, that you really are trusting in Christ and not trusting in yourself. John goes on to give a number of other tests throughout uh, his letter. The third test, test he has is that we love our brothers and sisters so on that sheet chapter 2 verse 9 anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble you can't hate your fellow believer and be in fellowship with christ it doesn't work because if you belong to jesus then the love of jesus for his people flows through your veins You can't help but express that. The fourth test is that we don't love the world. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. The fifth test is allegiance to the truth. Chapter 2, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 
So you can't deny Jesus or his identity as God's own son, as God himself, as the Messiah and Saviour of the world, as the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, whose death atoned for our sins. You can't deny the very essence of who he is and know him. If the Jesus that you claim to know bears no relationship to the Jesus who exists, then you can't know Jesus. What you know is a figment of your own imagination or somebody else's imagination, not the Jesus who is there and who really exists. So John gives these tests by which we might know whether or not we're in the faith. But it's important for us to stop uh, and to understand how those things, how those tests can assure us of whether we're saved or not. It's important that we understand how those things can assure us of that because if we misunderstand the basis on which those things work, then we'll go badly wrong. The reason that these tests work is because they're identifying, John says, whether a person is born of God or not. So chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They can't go on sinning because they have been born of God. When God calls his people through the gospel to faith in him, and he enables us to respond by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're born again by the Holy Spirit into a new life. We're reborn into God's family. We become new people. That's what the Bible calls regeneration, new birth. And while we can't see that regeneration take place, we can see the effects of it. Jesus says in John chapter 3 when he talks to Nicodemus about that, he says, it's like the wind. You don't know where the wind's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But you know what? You can tell that it's there because the trees move. And we can't see regeneration taking place in our lives or in the lives of others, but we can see the fruit of it because the leaves on the tree are moving. Jesus describes it like this. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You can tell whether a tree is good by looking at it, by looking at the kind of fruit that it bears. That's what John is saying as well. You can tell whether a person is born of God, whether they're a new creature, whether they're really a believer, whether the, the resurrection power of God is pressed back from the future into our present reality. You can tell that by the fruit that their life bears. So if you say, I know Jesus and I trust him, but then the way that you live completely contradicts that, that shows that, that there is no life in you. You claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness. 
But if you say, I know Jesus and I trust in him, and the way that you live aligns with that, and there's fruit coming to be born in your life in different ways, a little at first, but as time goes on more and more, if you see those things, it gives you tremendous confidence that you have been born of God, that there is life in you. When you trust in Jesus, you become a new tree, a good tree, and you can't help but bear fruit. And that work of the Spirit is an objective evidence that we can look at to see God's work in our lives. You can look for those things that John mentioned in his letters, those, in that letter, those five tests, whether we walk in darkness or, or uh, you know, obey Jesus' commands, whether we confess our and acknowledge our sin and trust in what Christ has done, whether we love the world, whether we love our brothers and sisters, uh, whether we know the real Jesus. We can look at those things, but we can also look for other evidence of the Spirit's work in our life. Uh, take Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. As you see those things coming to, bear, uh, to, to, to fruit in your life, they give you confidence and assurance that you really belong to Jesus. So the first ground of our assurance then is our faith in Christ. Uh, sorry, is not our faith, sorry, per se, but Christ and his promises. Flowing from that then is the second ground of our assurance uh, that comes from that new life that we have in Christ as Christians. Finally, I just want to quickly ask the question, well, what do we do then if we don't find, if we don't have assurance? What do we do if we don't have assurance or if we don't see that fruit in our life? So there are two reasons that a person might lack assurance. First, they might be a genuine Christian, but for some reason or other, they simply lack assurance. We see testimony to that kind of thing in the Bible in various places. It's often is seen in the Psalms, in those dark times uh, in people's lives. So David says in Psalm 31, In my alarm I said, I'm cut off from your sight. That is, there was a time when David thought that he was excluded from God's grace, that God had abandoned him. Assurance is something that can be lost, something that can be gained, something that can be improved and grown. And so we ought to, as Christians, do that, to, to seek to gain and to grow it and improve it. But the other reason that a person might lack assurance is that they're not a Christian at all. The reason that they have no assurance is because there's no fruit. Because they're not a Christian. And the great difficulty is, is that there's very little to tell between one and the other. How do you distinguish between a Christian who lacks assurance right, you know, for whatever reason 
and someone who isn't a Christian that, who lacks assurance. They look the same on the outside. And so to be in a position where you lack assurance is a, is a serious condition, I think, which we ought to seek to move out of. Either way, whether we're Christians and we lack assurance or whether we're unbelievers and we lack assurance because we're not saved, the remedy, in fact, is exactly the same. The remedy is to seek the grace of God in our lives. The remedy is to seek those marks of assurance, the fruit of God's work in our life. But the remedy is to seek those things, not by seeking the fruit itself, but by seeking the source from which the fruit comes. So if the fruit of salvation is just that, that is, the fruit of salvation, then the remedy is to seek the source of salvation first and foremost. You don't make an apple tree by sticking apples on a thorn bush. If you just work at making good apples, but you stay a thorn bush, it's not going to work. What you need to do is to seek the one who can change you from a thorn bush into a real tree. In the same way, we don't bear fruit by seeking that fruit in our own strength. We bear fruit by seeking that fruit as a gift of Christ with whom we're united in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't see, for instance, love for your brother or sister in Christ, you don't then go away with an ironclad determination to be more loving. What you need to do is to seek Christ. You need to acknowledge to him that you don't love them. You need to lay that on the table before him and seek his mercy and grace in his atoning death on the cross and seek from him the powerful resurrection life which he offers to all those who come to him. What you need to do is to seek that fruit of loving your brother and sister in Christ by seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just go for the fruit, you'll end up seeking a salvation by works and you won't get there. It won't work. You'll stay a thorn bush. But if you seek the fruit by seeking Jesus, then that fruit will be a natural result of pursuing the source of life himself. The way that we find our assurance, the way that we know that we have believed is by believing the promises more and more deeply and living on them more and more closely and by asking God to work the fruit of his righteousness in us through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray for that now. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. We thank you that 
he not only died uh, that we might be forgiven, but he rose that we might be freed from the power of death and sin and that we might be raised to new life. And Lord, thank you that uh, many of us here have experienced that grace, uh, that powerful grace, which gives us peace with you, but Lord, uh, also has changed us. And Lord, thank you for those of us who can look back with great gladness and joy at what you've done in our lives. Lord, we, we claim no credit for that. It's all a gift of grace. And Lord, we acknowledge so readily that we're not what we ought to be and we're not what we will be, but we're not what we once were because by your grace you've called us in the gospel. We've died with Christ and been raised with him. And Lord, we pray that that life would give us a great assurance of where we stand with you. But Lord, we also want to pray for those who lack that assurance. Lord, we ask that you would work in them the truth of the gospel, that they would know that they belong to you, that they really would belong to you, that their life would be founded on your promises in Jesus Christ. If any here, Lord, are deceived about where they stand, and have a false confidence and a false assurance. Lord, we ask that you would reveal that to them, that they may not find out that news on the last day, but they might know it now, while the opportunity to repent still stands. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.